All right, welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. With me is Russ Hodges, and we are back to talk all things TCU athletics. Coming off the big road college game day, top 20 victory in Lawrence, Kansas. TCU wins 38-31. Uh, we'll get right into it, but Russ, how you doing? How you feeling? And how did you feel watching this Kansas football game? You know, I hope my downstairs neighbor doesn't hate me after Saturday because uh, I was very loud at the end of the game. Um, I was standing up at the very end of it, and we got that fourth down uh, incomplete pass to to end it. And I mean, I don't think you could have asked for a better game than that. I mean, with the college game day atmosphere and a sellout crowd, two top-ranked teams nationally in the Big 12 Conference going at it. a defensive battle to to start off, which I think caught everyone by surprise, but then things really opened up in the second half and just turned out to be a, an awesome football game. Um, Glad I got to watch it all the way through and uh, really excited to to dig a little bit deeper into it. Yeah, totally. It was a thriller. And like you said, uh, uh, I I was, I don't know, pacing a, a hole in my floor in my kitchen watching the game. Like I'm just, just walk in circles, like trying to, you know, yelling at the screen, like, yeah, keep it together, keep your composure. Like, really, I'm, I'm like talking to myself, I guess. Like, I needed to keep it together. It was, uh, I was glad that they, uh, they did kind of settle in, that the frogs settled into a groove and, and were able to eventually come out with the win. But, um, certainly lived up to the billing of, of two top teams and, uh, top level performances from a lot of players. Uh, just getting into how the game went, I think, I think the first half was a lot of jitters from both sides. I, it, I don't know if it was feeling each other out, but you know, we we talked about that road environment with, uh, you know, kind of the the loud screaming fans, all the national spotlight on you. It it felt like I don't know if it got to the frogs equally as it did to the Jayhawks, but Felt like there was a little bit of uh, that was contributing to the slow start as much as defenses holding down uh, each other right out of the gate. Yeah, you know, I felt coming in, um, I I kind of expected it to be a a dogfight. You know, we talked in the pod last week about uh, past struggles in Lawrence and how just traditionally TCU Kansas in many of the matchups has been fairly close, sometimes closer than expected. And both defenses came out right away and and did a great job. Um, Kansas got a few really good stops in the run game uh, where TCU was, was really efficient over the early part of the season. But the Frogs, I mean, Abe Kamara had some nice plays. Uh, TCU gets the, the huge forced fumble on Jalen Daniels when he's stretching out for the goal line. I mean, you think about that that was a huge swing in the game. I mean, you're essentially going from possibly Kansas scoring a touchdown to taking those points off the board and then going all the way down the other end and putting up a touchdown in your own. So, um, like you said, it was a game where the the stars needed to show up and we'll get into that a little bit as we, as we move forward. But, uh, I thought both teams really brought it to, to start out. Um, TCU has been able to start out very fast offensively. That wasn't the case against the Jayhawks, but it was really encouraging to see 
the team on the road when you're unbeaten, uh, getting your your first real taste of adversity, being being down in the second half and uh, seeing Max Duggan and your stars and your veteran guys rally together and make the plays when they're needed and then get stops uh, defensively on a day where you really didn't play that well. Um, a, a lot of positives that TCU can take away from this game. And, uh, when you, you know, we joked last week, you, you got to beat Jalen Daniels. You unlock uh, your next challenger. Uh, and that'll be uh, Spencer Sanders coming up Saturday. So, um, yeah, it turns out the next challenger was Jason Bean in the second half, who who was was coming out like he was I don't know Johnny Manziel or something I don't know he was he was pretty excellent um, tearing up the TCU defense in that second half. But back to that that play with the fumble on the goal line was was such a a flip in that yeah Kansas is going in to score a touchdown to take the lead. Um, where it would have been it would have been seven to three and tcu takes over on the one yard line and right away it's quentin johnston quentin johnston quentin johnston uh max runs down to the one yard line and kendra miller uh busts it in and it felt like this huge sigh of relief like there it is there it is we've got we've got quentin johnston is now he's rolling he's here and this just went from very nervous and and there were obviously nervous times later in the game but that right there because it was this nervous start just kind of the energy of it gave some anxiety but then uh you know you you go down early giving up that drive would have felt like uh, a real problem um and instead you you flip it right on the head and it, it felt like it could have been a chance to to really get things rolling it didn't really turn out that way. I think it TCU didn't still really do anything the rest of the half, but just you talked about the stars showing up in the game. That drive is as stars showing up in the game as you can get of, uh, of Quentin Johnston taking it most of the way. And then Max and, and Miller um, in the red zone. When, when those combinations are rolling, it's going to be really tough to stop. And, and I think the Kansas defense did a really good job. Most of the game, containing everything that TCU was doing. Um, but sometimes the talent of Darius Davis, of Kendra Miller, of Quentin Johnston just was able to take over and, and, and Tay Barber, goodness, um, was able to take over in some key moments. I think, um, you know, so, some other key moments in the first half, um, I go back to, Early in the game where it feels like, again, TCU is very much in control of the game. That first drive was ended up with a field goal. Probably could have, should have been a touchdown there to to Savion Williams. Um, Then the next drive, you get get this very clear go-for-it fourth down opportunity where really you're you're sitting at second and one and you run and don't get it. And then... uh, like third and one, you run and don't get it. Fourth and one, uh, it's Amari DiMarcado and and don't pick that one up. I think that that took a lot of wind out of the sails early. That uh, you get that, you go down and score, and you feel like you're on your way to a blowout. Um, 
and instead you you know you're in for a dogfight. And TCU was able to get a, a stop on the other side as well, uh, a fourth down stop that you know was maybe not quite as obvious, uh, but but a fourth and five that that didn't work out. Um, the other big thing certainly that happened in the first half was Jalen Daniels going down. Uh, you know, they're right before halftime, they're driving in the red zone and, and he's running, scrambling and, and gets tackled out of bounds, um, and gets landed on and kind of lands on his shoulder and turns out he's out for the game. Turns out he's at least out for this next game to be determined whether he's out any further, but, um, it's, it's unfortunate for the Jayhawks, but Jason Bean came in and, and did an excellent job. I guess just, Russ, what are you thinking on the Daniels and Bean? Do you think this is really just a, a Lance Leipold scheme uh, situation where, where he's the one making this happen? Or is really Bean at the same level as Daniels? Um, you know, going on, uh, going back to Jalen Daniels real quick, uh, the man that tweeted out that Jalen's out for the year and might need to log off for a few days. And, uh, yeah, Daniels clap. We, we don't know what his status is. Um, I, I pulled, put out the tweet of Jalen stopping into his office and, and giving him the, the quick yeah, flex yeah, there. The, uh, so arms up in the air. So uh, a shoulder uh, sigh right? of relief yeah. there. Yeah. For, for Kansas yeah. fans. But you know, and this, when Jason Bean came in, I thought he executed the offense well, and you saw a lot of opportunities for Kansas to make plays when guys were wide open. And I know in one sequence of the broadcast, they broke down a a play that Kansas had near the red zone uh, where they had two wide receivers run scissors over the middle of the field. And the TCU secondary just kind of got lost in translation and I, I believe it was Luke Grimm who was wide open uh, for a tiptoe touchdown catch in, in the end zone. Uh, that and one, then yes. Mason Fairchild, the Mason Fairchild tight end, I felt like every time he caught the ball, he had 30 yards of real estate in front of him. Um, Nobody had, even knew he existed. It was, he was a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they Lance Leipold deserves a lot of credit. They had a lot of misdirection, a lot of pre-snap movement, and... I think that's something, and I could be wrong about this, but I go back to Oklahoma or SMU. I hadn't seen teams run that much pre-snap movement and misdirection uh, against the Frogs this season. And I think they got a little confused. Um, I think Lance Leipold deserves a lot of credit. I, I think they they didn't beat themselves. They, I think, only had a couple penalties throughout the entire game and, and not really uh, – not really any significant or game losing mistakes. I think the the worst mistake that Jason Bean really made was the interception to Jamoy Hodge, where he just overshot his receiver. Um, and I think some of those passes and then missing the running back on the wheel route late in the game. Um, that's just from, you know, maybe not getting all those reps and maybe the timing. That's right. He, he off. wasn't the one. And yeah, that, that the interception was kind of a snowball of things where the play before, he has that pitch on on the option that just isn't quite timed just right that ends up being like a loss of 15 yards where maybe it's a, you know, at, at worst it's like a no gain. Maybe they pick up some yards there and, and so they're they're way behind the chains and he's trying to make something happen and throws that interception. So, yeah, it's the kind of thing of like, 
he he was the backup and he he played like a backup in in some of those instances but um yeah have have to give him credit have to give Leipold credit there were a few penalties that Kansas ended up getting called for that were at pretty tough times where uh holding calls that were like totally unnecessary behind the play or um you know, not not worth making that hold. It's not like saving a sack fumble or something. It's it's just uh, the kind of thing that the offense they run on those those pitch plays. You you can really see it. So like they're they're very obvious calls when they happen and um, put them in some bad situations there too. Um, maybe just to close out the first half. Uh, Max Duggan threw his first interception of the season on kind of a hail mary towards the very end of the first half. Um, I think TC was in a pretty good space to keep on driving with timeouts, had an opportunity. What'd you think about taking the shot there that ended up resulting in that interception? You know, I, I understand wanting to take that shot because of the kind of game Quentin Johnston was having up to that point. Um, Me personally, I would have, tried to take the points there just because it was tough sledding offensively in the first half. And uh, you have an opportunity to at least put three on the board in a game where Griffin Kell has already made a field goal. Um, It was really at the end of the day, just an arm punt. So nothing really too discouraging, but maybe at home you take that shot. um, Or if you have a little bit more offensive rhythm, you, you take that shot. But uh, if I remember correctly, it was a ball that was, you know, a little overthrown and, and it might have been double coverage, too. Um, and I know Max. Yeah, there were definitely guy two guys to, down there. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I know Max trusts his guy to make a play there. Um, I, I would have. And I think TCU had timeouts as well. TCU had that was the thing. a chance to use the middle of the field and stop the clock and, and set up at least, a, you know, you got three in your back pocket. You know, going on the road against a ranked team, um, that that's just how how I would have done it. But at the same time, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we won the game. Yeah. So yeah, it it worked out okay in the end. And yeah, I think maybe Johnson may have slipped or not seen that the safety was there or or something. But it seemed like a play that he could have done something on the ball there. But uh, you know, if that's if that was his one mistake of the day, I think think it can be forgiven um yeah let's see we yeah we talked about the light bulb scheme my goodness i think just the way that the tcu defense was put in really bad spots um you know we talked about how tcu did that to oklahoma so bad last week or the you know the week prior and uh that tcu was that kind of happened to tcu here um and early there in the second half, uh, things are spiraling a little bit for TCU. And first play of a drive, Duggan hits uh, Jacravius Spivey for a first down, and he drops the ball, and and it's a fumble recovery by Kansas that that really had an opportunity to flip the game there, where. Um, I don't know if that was right after Kansas scored their their second touchdown in the second half or in between the two touchdowns there to start the second half but um in any case it was 
it was in a spot where TCU really needed a bounce back and it, it felt like a big opportunity to, to take the momentum back. And it just, it was, it was really deflating and got that crowd right back in it. Um, and, and could have been a, could have been a death spell. Um, turned out okay because kind of coming out of that is Darius Davis just doing incredible things on a football field again. Um, his his run down the sideline, watching the replay over and over on that one, where he tight ropes on the sideline, it's just incredible. I, you know, I think it's hard to to talk about this game without just the ridiculous performances from Tay Barber and Johnston and Davis on their touchdowns. Uh, I think, you know, I think for me, the Tay Barber touchdown just had me, had me kind of going insane. I was, (laughs) I was doing, I was doing flips. I was going crazy on that one. Um, into double coverage. He's like up in the air, somehow gets a foot down. I think he gets two feet down with the ball. Yeah. That Uh, that was an NFL. (laughs) That that's a catch on Sundays. I watched that back and that was a, that that was an NFL caliber catch from Tay Barber there, and his only catch of the game. So you talk about uh, making maximizing an impact. your opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I think uh, you know Quentin Johnston as great of a game as he had receiving wise, and we had we knew that a game like this was coming from him. I he has shown it in the past, and TCU has really spread the wealth offensively to start the season. But it was fairly obvious early in the game that. Quentin Johnston was getting easy separation. Uh, Kansas was not able to cover him well at all. And the result was 14 catches for 206 yards and a score. But I honestly thought one of his best plays of the game was the block that he made on the outside to seal uh, the sideline for Darius Davis. I mean, that was a, a play where if he doesn't make that block, uh, Davis might have to just run out of bounds for a short game. So, so that was a huge play there. And going back to the, the Spivey fumble, you know what, what good teams do, and it was really encouraging to see this not only from the Frogs, but honestly from Kansas too, is good teams capitalize on their opponents' mistakes. And the Jayhawks turned the Jaquarius Spivey fumble into points. TCU turned the Jamoy Hodge interception into points. And those are it's what good teams do and something TCU hasn't really done this season is turn the ball over, uh, beat themselves up. But the, the ability to overcome that with a uh, great individual effort, again, Tay Barber, th- that's when, you know, a quarterback is playing confident that when a quarterback is willing to throw a dart into the corner of the end zone with two guys there, because he knows that Tay Barber is going to come down with the football that's that's confident. It's a heat check. It, it's that's, a total heat check. Is. Just like let, let me just throw this up there. My guy's gonna make it happen. Yeah, um, and you know what? Yeah. That's that's confident receiver play as well. I think with, with these receivers, when a quarterback has confidence in you, it's gonna raise your confidence. It's gonna elevate your level of play. And with with Quentin Johnston having the game that he did, uh, Tay Barber again, an awesome catch. I'm really excited to see what these two guys uh, can do moving forward. And then Darius Davis, again, Sonny Dykes has talked about how if he could give him the ball 80 times a game, 
He would, and for good reason. You know, I, I think one thing that might get glossed over a little bit is Kansas did not want to kick that man the ball. And <sighs> as a result... TCU, Willing to kick it straight out of bounds. Just straight out of bounds. Yeah, they, they were squibbing it. They were kicking it out of bounds. They were short kicking it. And the, the result is TCU is getting the ball at the 35-40 yard line on practically every offensive possession. I'll be really interested to see if other teams in the Big 12 do this moving forward because the 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 trade-off is okay you don't give probably the most dangerous return man in the conference a chance to return the ball but then the other side is you're giving an offense that's averaging 46 points a game the ball at the 35 40 yard line so I guess you gotta pick your poison there a little bit yeah I can see teams more confident in their kicker just let them kick it through the end zone. So maybe I don't I don't know what the wind situation was in Lawrence on Saturday, and I, I don't know much about the Kansas kicking situation. But I imagine teams who have that that big leg kicker will just they'll just say let it rip and and try to do whatever they can to kick it you know ten yards deep or or out of the end zone on kickoffs. Try to not give them a chance that way um, rather than just giving an extra, at least free 10 yards to, to the offense. Um, I guess to close it out, defense gets a stop at the end. Um, Marcel Brooks makes a nice tackle to somehow not horse collar and, and get a stop. Uh, and then, Oh man, I, I think, was it Josh Newton on coverage on that last play or maybe Abe Kamara, but at, at the end, coverage on the the receiver able to not get a, a penalty on that play either. I, I think there there were a lot of Kansas fans very upset about those two calls. I think they were probably the correct calls, but that's obviously my purple glasses. I could see it going other ways. I think we would have been really upset if either of those are called a penalty. I think the Brooks wasn't even close really to being a penalty. Um, and then you know there the last play of the game. Uh, I don't, I don't think there was enough there for that ref to, to ever have thrown a flag there. Um, and it's not like Kansas, Kansas got plenty of benefit from, from referee calls throughout the day as well. I mean, the two touchdowns that they got that were very impressive catches, uh, very nice plays, but I think if they call it on the field incomplete, they're not overturning them as complete passes Mm. either. Um, the one touchdown where, the guy kind of falls to the ground with the ball and he's got his arms under it and the ball bobbles within his arms and probably hits the ground on the side of his arm, but they say it doesn't, you know? And then the other one where does his knee hit inbounds before the rest of his leg lands out of bounds? It's very close calls, but uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that can go either way. So, you know, Kansas gets the benefit of those two touchdowns, but they they don't get the flag. They don't get the home cooking flag at the end of the game, and uh, TCU gets the stop and gets the win. Yeah, I think though you you hit the nail on the head. Both of those plays were they're bang bang plays. You're not going to be able to overturn those on video, and I don't think any call really in this game was uh, TCU Oklahoma. That man waved for a fair catch. Egregious no. level of bad. Um, <laughs> no, no, I thought no. the officiating in this game was pretty solid. Uh, again, just a really well played 
game all around. And, you know, even though the defense did get the stop at the end of the game, I was pretty discouraged with how we defended the pass in this game. Uh, Jason Bean throws for four touchdown passes. Uh, Jayhawks didn't really run the ball extremely well. I think, again, TCU has been very solid in that category, but uh, TCU now is, I think, averaging about 270 yards per game allowed in, in the passing game. And, you know, in, in the 3-3-5, where we saw a lot of instances against Kansas where TCU only rushed three guys, when you're dropping eight, you can't be giving up 20, 30, 40-yard pass plays down the field. I mean, that's just... I, w- I want to say it's inexcusable. I'm not a coach. But... Just so much time that Bean was. I, I mean, you've got the backup quarterback in there. Make him, you know, bother him a little bit. He 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 was almost never bothered all day back there in the pocket. Right, and it's a combination of factors. I think what was discouraging on those two touchdown passes that were they touchdowns, were they not? I could really care less because on both of those plays, you had two high safeties who got beat by one guy. If you have two-on-one coverage in the end zone and you're getting beat on both of those, that's, I mean, that just can't happen. You know, that's just not good enough. And you brought it up about the lack of pass rush, and it's something we've talked about on this podcast multiple times now. Um, I mean, other than the Jamoy Hodge sack that, knocked Jalen Daniels out of the game. Did, did TCU have a sack other than that play? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, yeah, and, you know, that one, I'm not even sure you can call that a sack. That was much more of a scramble, run around, you know, he's he's trying to make something happen kind of play than than just a pure pass rush sack. Um, yeah, and, and I, think, I think a lot of TCU fans were expressing a lot of, um, they were upset. Folks were not, folks were not happy with the way the defense was handling Kansas, and I think it's just maybe it's understanding that the way this Kansas offense was running was making a lot of that happen. I mean, some of the the wide open Fairchild things, those those plays are just and the grim one at the back of the end zone. That's that's kind of scheme taking advantage of what the frogs are doing. But yeah, like you said, those those other two where. You've got Perry back there, and and you've got a at least one cornerback back there with a receiver in the end zone. You should be able to to make that not a touchdown, even if it's you know an incredible play by the receiver. Um, so unfortunate there, and I mean things are only going to get more difficult for that that TCU defense and secondary coming up with with Spencer Sanders. I guess just to close up on the Kansas game. What do we what do we think this means? I mean, this is this is two consecutive at the time of the game top twenty wins for TCU in the Big Twelve. Um, but we saw uh, Oklahoma go and just be get totally annihilated in the Red River game, get shut out by Texas, um, and then you know Kansas is like a ten point underdog to that Oklahoma team this week in Norman and I it's are these were these good wins yeah I think they're absolutely good wins um Texas Oklahoma Dylan Gabriel wasn't playing 
Davis Bebel, God bless him. I'm sure he's a good guy. He's six not of, it. Six of 12 for 38 yards and a pick. Yeah, they, they mm. got to get another guy in there. Um, I, I didn't really read too much into that because I I don't know how many people picked Oklahoma to win that game. I thought Texas was going to win that game uh, handily, especially with Quinn Ewers coming back. But, well, Kansas has played really good football this season. Um, they've won in a few different ways. They've won high scoring battles. They, they go to West Virginia and win in overtime in, in what is a very difficult place to play. They go to Ames and uh, I, I like to use the term rock fight quite a bit, but they, they win a, a defensive battle against an Iowa state team that just held Kansas state to 10 points and Deuce Vaughn to 23 rushing yards. So um, Kansas, is, we, we've said it before. I'll say it again. Kansas is legit. I think Kansas is in a position this season to uh, potentially finish top four in in the Big 12 Conference. And uh, playing Oklahoma with a health, healthy Dylan Gabriel and doing good while doing it, and even with Jalen Daniels getting knocked out, going on the road in a sellout crowd against an undefeated team that's playing really good ball, I, I think they, they are really good wins for TCU. Um, but it's only going to get tougher from here. I mean, you have Oklahoma State and then Kansas State coming up after that. And this is an Oklahoma State team that w- was honestly tested against uh, a Red Raider offense that is just continuing to put up a lot of yards. So um, I- I'm, I'm still really happy with the way TCU is playing. The offense really bounced back late in that Kansas win. And the the biggest question for me is, just on the defensive end, can, can you count on dropping eight guys or dropping seven guys and winning your coverage matchups consistently? Um, I think TCU defensively is still trying to figure out. Uh, I think we know what the identity is with a three-three-five, but I wonder if uh, Joe Gillespie will start using some kind of a like a sub package where he has four men up front rather than three. Maybe he takes a nickel off the field. Maybe he takes one of his uh, outside backers off the field um, in favor of another rusher because the front is not getting any pressure on the quarterback. It doesn't matter who it is. And if they're dropping eight guys and giving up huge chunk plays down the field, that's not going to cut it either. So really one of two things has to happen. Either A, you've got to win your coverage matchups on every down if you're going to drop eight guys or seven guys. Or B, you got to start getting a little more creative and rushing the passer because uh, just blitzing DBs and blitzing linebackers is not going to cut it. So I'm interested to see moving forward, especially with Oklahoma State and a really talented dual-threat quarterback and Spencer Sanders coming up, uh, will will TCU make any sort of adjustments up front, or are they going to stay true to the three-three-five and really emphasize just better coverage down the field? Yeah, and I, I do think that Spencer Sanders is a dual-threat quarterback, but I also don't think he's as dynamic as Jalen Daniels can be and as as dangerous as a runner is is maybe more what I'm trying to say there. I think he's closer to the Dylan Gabriel 
um, Tanner Mordecai level of of threat with his legs that I, I feel like there maybe maybe there was a spy or there was a lot of focus and and was well covered all those those option attempts and Jalen Daniels running attempts didn't really produce anything of note uh for Kansas and so it, it seemed like that was much more the focus against Kansas where I think against Oklahoma State going forward as as we look forward to to this week's game uh there's just so much talent um in pass catchers for Oklahoma State and Spencer Sanders has shown uh, an absolute ability to get them the ball and and the offense to get them the ball in space and and run with it that I kind of feel like maybe they'll they'll the defense will work better against an offense like that than it did against this Lance Leipold Jalen Daniels run offense. Is that a solid theory, or am I crazy there? Is Spencer Sanders going to run for 300 yards against TCU on Saturday? Is that what I'm setting myself up for? No, I I think you make sense. Um, I know Spencer Sanders in the past has has made plays with his legs maybe a little more uh, frequently than maybe he actually does. Um, But regardless, it'll be be something to look out for uh, when Oklahoma State comes to town this weekend looking looking forward to it should be another uh i I think if depending on how this game goes we could start hearing a lot more national love being shown to the frogs i know troy aikman was showing the frogs a little love on uh, my football it was was exciting to see and uh, hopefully the frogs continue to to build on that yeah and it's the kind of thing there's there's a lot of big games this week so that Things may thin out at the top a little more than they are. There's there's so many ranked versus ranked games. So, yeah, there's there's an opportunity to where the winner of of this game Saturday between Oklahoma State and TCU will be very much at the doorstep of of everything possible for the season, um, and, and will be right in the conversation uh, with everyone nationally. So. We've already kind of gotten into it, but uh, just to talk to, to level set here. So Saturday, two thirty p.m. Central, Amon G. Carter Stadium, uh, number eight, Oklahoma State comes to town. Uh, it's nice to have a a game that's not at eleven a.m. Um, and <laughs> it's I, I I don't know how much more it can be hyped. Uh, you know, we're, we're in this midst of big game after big game after big game. And it's kind of the nature of the big 12 of all these teams are very solid. Um, but you have to think Oklahoma state coming off of last season, making the big 12 title game, winning a a new year six bowl and bringing a lot of that talent back. They, this has to be your favorite to at least get back to that conference championship game. And now with Oklahoma on, on a huge downswing, you have to think the Cowboys are probably the favorite to win the conference at this point. So huge, huge contest nationally, huge contest 
for the Big 12 race um, to kind of keep pace with with things. Oklahoma State already owns the win over Baylor, um, and there there are no games yet between these teams with with Texas and um, and Kansas State. So I think everything's on the table here for TCU. How TCU is going to perform in this game, I, I I don't know. I think uh, Oklahoma State's just a really good team. They're they're really good on defense, really good skill talent, well coached. Um, Spencer Sanders is a veteran, and he's he's had some tough games in the past, but uh, you know you you could say a lot of that about Max Duggan as well, and and. I just I have no idea what to expect out of this game. This is going to be such a fight, and I'm I don't even know how to break it down. I'm just really excited to see it happen. It's the kind of thing I just want to see it play out um, because there's it's just going to be such a good contest. They're so well matched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think TCU is going to come into this game with a lot to prove because you have a lot of guys who were on this team last season when the frogs got the breaks beaten off of them by Oklahoma Nasty. State last year. Um, but you also have some guys that, I mean, two years ago, Oklahoma State comes into Fort Worth, and it's a, a great game that TCU winds up winning in in uh, close fashion on a, a late defensive stop. And I feel like, in general, a lot of TCU-Oklahoma State matchups have been very uh, competitive, very exciting. But I, I think the Horn Frogs are going to come in, again, they might be favored by Vegas, but I think TCU is is an underdog at home in this matchup, being a, a lower rated team in the country. And I'm I'm a little nervous about how uh, this pass defense is going to fare against the Cowboys because they do have so many different weapons led by uh, Brennan Presley and and Jaden Bray, and they have a lot of guys who can get down the field quickly. Um, Dominic Richardson is back at running back and uh, defensively I thought OSU looked a little vulnerable. You know, Texas Tech is a team that I know can put up a lot of yards on a lot of teams, but uh the way the Red Raiders came out early in that game and and actually had Oklahoma State on the on the ropes a little bit in the second half um I think showed that this is this is a defense that can be scored on. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this winds up turning into a into a shootout. I think again we talk about the turnover battle every week and how how TCU has taken care of the football very well throughout the season. That is going to be something super paramount for this matchup. I mean TCU cannot have receivers fumbling the ball away. Um, can't afford any intercept. Cannot afford to give the Spencer Sanders led offense, any extra possessions uh, by any means necessary. If it's special teams, if it's turnovers, cannot afford to give them extra opportunities with the football because you know they have an offense that's more than capable of of putting up a heck of a lot of points. So um, taking care of the football is going to be huge and finding a way to get, get to Spencer Sanders. I mean, at at some point, it's got to click for the pass rush. So, someone's got to be able to step up. I mean, Dylan Horton 
have 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 we even talked about him on the podcast? I, I mean, he's he's made he's made some plays, and and you know, Dominic Williams made some plays early in the season, and now he's he's kind of been a a, a space filler in a good way, but it it doesn't show up on the stat sheet as much. Um, so yeah, absolutely, gotta gotta get some pressure on Sanders. Um, he definitely is prone to getting flustered and and making a mistake or or taking off to run when he doesn't need to um but one thing that that we didn't talk about as a negative from the Kansas game that would is going to be devastating if it comes up this week is missed tackles so um you know I know you had a piece on the site this week about Abe Kamara I think he missed a couple tackles he's he's been such a hard hitter and been and been really strong in the secondary but you know a couple missed tackles and and really um Hodges Tomlinson has been really strong on the outside making tackles at the point of contact but there there were several occasions where last week TCU had the opportunity to shut down a drive or at least keep things out of manageable situations where, you know, you're in like third and 20 and you're picking up 17 yards or you're allowing 17 yards, giving it the opportunity for a fourth down pickup um, because of missed tackles. That's, that's not what you want to see against anybody, but you miss a tackle against Brendan Presley and he's gone. Mm -hmm. You miss a tackle against really anybody. Yeah. uh, Bray or, uh, Brennan Johnston or any of those guys, uh, Richardson uh, at running back, there's they will punish you for those mistakes in a way that I don't think Kansas had the skill players nearly at the level of of Oklahoma State. Um, so those are the kind of lapses, momentary lapses that against Oklahoma State you just you just can't have. Um, so I, I'd be I'd be concerned about that as well from the TCU defense. Yeah, and one little note before we we get into predictions, uh, one one Kansas mistake that maybe kind of got lost in the in the shuffle was the the Jacob Borchilla missed field goal. Um, that that was a a huge swing in, in that game, and I think Tanner Brown for the Cowboys is one of the better kickers in the conference, if not in, in all of Power Five. So. Um, Griffin Kell for, for TCU has been, has been at times a little shaky. I think he's missed a couple PATs. So mm-hmm. uh, you hope he can deliver a, a good performance there. This is a game that, I mean, Vegas right now saying the spread is three and a half. Uh, definitely believe it's a game that can come down to a couple points. And obviously if that's the case, then every point counts. Um, Got to deliver in all three phases. So um you want to go ahead and get into our predictions here right now? Sure, let's jump into it. You mentioned the spread. TCU is favored in this game, and it's it's grown to three and a half on the spread. Um, when this game opened at TCU favored by two, I was I was kind of shocked. I was su- surprised to see TCU as the favorite, even being at home, um, coming off a game that that maybe observers might have thought TCU escaped with a win. I guess Oklahoma State also coming off a game where where they maybe escaped with a win against maybe not as strong a team. Um, so I, I can see that there, but uh, 
you know, that the higher ranked team, I think Oklahoma State is deserving of their their higher ranking at this time. I mean, they're this is a very good football team. Um, so I was I was a little bit surprised and I mean I you always like to see when your team is kind of getting the getting the push on the spread where it's like, okay, you're uh there's there the line is moving in your direction. So moving from two to three and a half is some indication that somebody out there uh, thinks that that TCU is the right call here, um, and I don't know. I'm I'm worried about the line. I'm worried about uh, Spencer Sanders having having a a blow up game. I'm worried about the defense allowing something that it shouldn't. Something silly happening uh, late. But um, so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with TCU here. And again, uh, sorry, on the, uh, on the total is projected or is, uh, the odds makers have it at 68 and a half, uh, which is right around where TCU has been hovering on all of these games so far this season. Um, right around that 69 number. So I, I think even though these offenses can definitely explode, I tend to think that this is going to be a, your like your favorite phrase the rock fight i think this ends up being more of a rock fight than a uh than a sprint past each other kind of game um just because i don't know i think the stakes are so high for both teams and um there's it's just going to be really well played and there may be some turnovers there may be some some penalties uh Let's see. Give me a score. We're going to go with um, 28-24. Low-scoring game. That oh, That's TCU covering the spread. Uh, yeah, let's just go with it. TCU's going to cover that spread. TCU, TCU wins 28-24. to Is TCU undefeated against the spread this season? I thought I read that somewhere that they might. Yeah, have. depends on what spread you got for the Kansas game. So if it, I think it may have ended seven or seven and a half, mm-hmm. so it, but opened at like five or six and a half. So depending on which which line you use, but other than that, yes, either probably a push. If you take the closing line, it's probably seven. So TCU pushed in in the Kansas game, but otherwise have cover the spread every week right i i think this is going to be a nail biter game just because i just i i think this is a game that could come down to a game-winning field goal or uh one last stop on the defensive end i i think it's going to be a high scoring game personally just based off of what i've seen from oklahoma state these last couple of games um hanging 30 plus points up on a really solid Baylor defense and then uh, scoring quite a bit again against Texas Tech and then the Frogs who are averaging well over 40 points a game. Granted, they did play Colorado and Tarleton State and SMU, but uh, you do run it up against the the, the down bad Sooners and then uh, go to Kansas in a game where it looked like it might be first to 20 wins and you wind up with 38. So um, I, I I think it's going to be a three-point differential. I can't take TCU to cover three and a half here, but I do think the total is exceeded. My prediction is going to be 45-42. You know I'm picking TCU every week. That's not changing here. 
I think the Frogs win 45-42. They stay unbeaten, have, a, have an opportunity to possibly move into the top 10 uh, going into next week. I love it. I also think I can see this game coming down to a one of the teams decides to go for two after scoring what could have been the game-tying touchdown if they kicked the extra point, but they decide to go for two, and that's what it's coin flip one way or the other. Somebody gets the, the one-point victory. Uh, a la Monday Night Football, I see. That's right. That's right. So, all right. So, thinking about this game, what 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 does this bring up in your, your thoughts about uh, TCU and top 10 games and games against Oklahoma State? So, I'll ask the fans this week in the fan polls, um, touched on a few of those topics. So, the first one, or I guess one of these was, your your favorite top ten win at home in Amon G Carter Stadium. Um, so let me look at my list again. But the list was uh, two thousand eight against number nine BYU. Uh, a couple from twenty fourteen with the the classic Oklahoma game, and then the Kansas State blackout, and then in twenty fifteen against number seven Baylor in the the rainy uh, game against that the hated bears coming off uh, a year of, of just hatred. What do you think? What, what was your, what was your thought on that one? I have to go with the, the Baylor monsoon game because my brother was actually down in Fort Worth with me for that weekend. That was my senior year. Uh, we went to the game and I think we were probably the only two guys that did not have any rain gear in the stadium. We showed up with, our, our hoodies and jeans on. And I mean, it got super cold too. It got down to like 40 degrees. And oh yeah. It was just rain. above freezing. Was, yeah. It was, I, I don't know how I managed to walk home from the stadium. I, I lived in uh, grand Mark my senior year. So we wound up leaving the game, I think in the fourth quarter, because I physically couldn't do it anymore. I'm going to sound like a, a baby for saying that. And I, it's one of my, my brother and I have this thing. We go to games. We, we went to a Cubs game uh, a year or so ago where David Bodie hit a walk-off grand slam against the Phillies. And we left in the eighth inning because we had to catch a train. Like that just happens to, to the Hodges boys, I guess. But <laughs> no, I, I got to go with the Baylor game uh, just because, you know, we were there Unfortunately, missed the ending, but uh, just a, a a crazy environment in that weather. Um, how TCU wound up coming out of that with the win against a, a team that I think was starting their third string quarterback. Um, yeah, you, you were just happy to to survive in advance, but the uh, being in the stadium and to all the students and everyone there who toughed it out all the way, I applaud you. I hope you. Uh, did some slip and sliding on the bleachers and made the most out of it. Cause you might not have an experience like that again. It was, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah. I was there with my dad and uh, my, my folks were in town and my, my son, my firstborn son was born just like a, a couple weeks earlier. So uh, it was like a very exciting time in, in the North household. And yeah, went with my dad and we, we were fully decked out. We had, you know, like several layers of, of clothes on plus several coats, plus several 
like rain slickers and then yeah no we and we stayed through the whole thing through the lightning delays through all the yeah double overtime it's probably like six or seven hours out in the freezing rain uh that's it's hard to beat that game just in general um on this list i was i was surprised how actually you know people from the 2014 season really have a soft spot for that oklahoma win but very little love for the Kansas State game. Uh, I, I'm I'm surprised by that because that game was later in the season. At this point, it was really real that that TCU was making a, a legitimate run at this new playoff thing that existed, and this was the biggest obstacle left on on the slate. And night game like it'll be next week against Kansas State night game and and TCU it it was kind of it ended up being just a big celebration i mean Trevon Boykin was amazing Aaron Green was amazing um Tyler Lockett for Kansas State was amazing but uh TCU was able to to get that game and and i also have a soft spot for the 2008 game against BYU um that was my junior year and uh that was the day after i turned 21 i think the day or two after the week of and so uh i had a good time at at that byu game and it was a it was a raucous crowd and you know byu fans really show up um especially you know i think there's there's a very large byu fan base in dfw and they really come out so uh it it, it was a good time taking that game from BYU and uh what what we thought at the time probably could have been a really amazing season was was spoiled later on by Utah but um an exciting game nonetheless and and I have a soft spot for that but uh yeah I think Baylor's the correct answer um so my next question on this one was that the forced turnover that made you laugh the most and what what made me think of this was just the last uh, important Oklahoma State TCU game was in 2017. Oklahoma State was in the top 10 and and TCU went into Stillwater and that Oklahoma State team everybody was very excited about Mason Rudolph and, and everything that they were doing um and really just one of the most uh kind of confounding play calls they they throw a trick play where uh their receivers trying to throw a touchdown pass and it gets picked off by Nick or in the end zone. And, uh, I, I listed a few things here, Brock Purdy throwing the, the pick six, Keontae Ingram fumbling at the goal line to give Texas a loss. Um, and then the Banigou sack from that same game. Uh, do you have a favorite of those? Uh, I, the Purdy interception was, was the one for me that, that one was just hilarious because in real time, uh, watching that game, I I, ha- I haven't seen a play like that in any other college game or pro game, um, where where a guy just throws it behind the line of scrimmage and it's just like, oh, here you go, like here, free six, <laughs> like that's look. Kendrick Van Zant was taking a joyride into the end zone. Um, I don't think any DB will score an easier touchdown uh, than that. That was a that was just a a a moment that you felt like it only happened to an Iowa State team 
Um, and, and a quarterback that frankly was a very good college quarterback in, in Brock Purdy. Um, to, to make a play like that was just like a, uh, a complete brain malfunction in that moment. But one, another one I want to bring up, and it's not really one that makes you laugh. It's just one that makes one that I remember, um, 2014 peach bowl against Ole Miss when, um, yes, full Wallace is, yes. Uh, it, it's like the, it, he, he's getting besieged by the TCU defense and he's getting hit on, every play and it, it, the game is just so one-sided but they back him up all the way back into his own end zone and he, he he's just trying to throw the ball away for dear life like he's he's trying to do anything to just get out of the way and then James McFarland makes a super athletic dive at the ball and intercepts it in the end zone and and does the land shark celebration to uh taunt all the old Miss fans that that's one that I when I think of uh just memorable TCU forced turnovers. Not not necessarily one that's funny. Maybe funny just because Bo Wallace. No, it's it's pretty funny. No, I, I, that's a good. That's a really good answer. I like that. That's it, it's pretty funny. And you say to taunt the Ole Miss fans. And by that point, I'm not sure there are any Ole Miss fans left in in uh, in Atlanta. They were they were gone. Um, shout out to the the Keontae Ingram play just as being karma for running over Melissa Trebowasser on the sideline. Shout out Melissa. Um, you know, I think it was the year before she she was uh, doing photography on the sideline and and he uh, kind of bowled her over. And so he he got his comeuppance the next year is giving the game away on the goal line. So um, we, we, we thank Melissa for her efforts in, in causing that fumble a year later. Um all right, so so my last question, and, and we can hit it quick. But the uh, your favorite or the best, most impressive TCU wide receiver performance, and on, on behalf of Quinn Johnston having this huge day at Kansas, and how that stacks up to uh, Jalen Rager in the Alamo Bowl, Josh Doxson in Lubbock in 2015, or Josh Boyce in Boise in 2011, and. Um, also, shout out to somebody on Twitter. Hit us with the, uh, I think it was Andrew Sullivan. Hit us with the um, game, uh, the the Cavante Turpin Texas game where he had four touchdowns. So that probably should have been on this list too. Um, for me, my my answer, I I know the Doxon one has the most impressive stats, just just you know basic stats. But for me, it's the 2011 Boise game. Just at the time. Boise was like our our most heated hated opponent. You know, we had the the Fiesta Bowl and the Poinsettia Bowl, and and they were the top dog in what, what was supposed to be the top dog in the Mountain West that year, uh, coming into the conference fresh. And uh, TCU had already announced that they were leaving the Mountain West, so there was there was all kinds of I don't know bad blood and and really just. It was a huge game. I think they were in the top five at the time. And Boyce had an incredible game. But more than just the, the five for 163 and three touchdowns were the the two-point conversion that wins the game at the end. Um, a play that, that he had done probably a couple times before. There's a West Virginia game where he, where he steals a two-point conversion. But uh, he, he 
Casey Paul Hall hits Boyce at a, about the one yard line on the two point conversion, and he he steals it away from the defensive back and and gets in the end zone for the go ahead score. TCU hangs on to win thanks to a missed field goal, but uh, I don't know. That's that's my favorite um, beast TCU wide receiver performance. What is it for you? I, I would say. I I gotta go with Doxson in 2015. I know that's kind of the easy answer, but when I think about the 2015 season, a lot of it really just comes back to Trevon Boykin and Josh Doxson uh, doing uh, putting their team on their back um, and just being two peas in a pod. I mean, I think about the Kansas State game, Kansas, as well, where you you think that. The frogs are going to go down. They're they're not stopping anything. They can't stop the run whatsoever. But when you have the best, arguably the best quarterback in college football, and arguably the best wide receiver in college football, they always had a chance to win. It seemed and and just and that Texas Tech game just because of the wild ending. Um, I mean that game will be memorable for a lot of people. I remember being in the wreck. I was working out, maybe I just finished playing basketball, and they had all the students were chilling in the in the lounge right outside the basketball courts watching the game because it was about to end, and uh, they air the fourth down play where Boykin throws it in the end zone, it's tipped, and uh, everyone was about to go full surrender, Cobra, and then Aaron Green just comes right in, and then everyone starts losing their minds, and you, I think after that, on Texas Tech's last play of the game, didn't they? They got it down to like the twenty yard line on a bunch of laterals, and yeah, yeah. They, they they get into the open field, and you're like, you're you're about to, you feel like you're about to soil yourself because you're like, no, <laughs> this is not don't happening. Don't do this to us now. And then he find the the guy finally gets pushed out of bounds to like the fifteen yard line. And you're just like, okay, now we can go party. <laughs> But no, I I think Doxon just had a special 2015 season, and him just being a great story uh, coming in from Wyoming and developing such a great chemistry with Boykin. It was almost like Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, where it doesn't matter where Rodgers is going to throw the ball. He could throw back shoulder. He could lead him. He could hit him on any route. It's like they always knew, you know, they just Double him, connection. triple him, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah he's getting just, that ball. Some some quarterbacks and, and <clears> pass catchers, even like you know, Brady and Gronkowski, even though Gronk's a tight end, it's like you they they know just how the how to play the game, you know, and they know where the other is gonna be and, and where the ball's gonna be before anybody else on the field does. And it was just a, a really cool thing to watch. Yeah, looking at his game log and, and I was like trying to pinpoint exactly which one I was going to pick for that for Doxon. And it's like every single game he's going like nine for one fifty and two touchdowns, like in, insane performer and all time. Great. Um, wrapping up for, for football for the week, uh, just to hit the big 12 real quick, the three other games this week, we've got Baylor is a three and a half point favorite in Morgantown at West Virginia, um on Thursday night did the did the bears come away with the win there yeah i'm going to take baylor in this game i think uh they're going to be looking to bounce back from a, a tough loss against oklahoma state and 
I really don't know what to think of, of West Virginia right now. Um, they, they had a couple of bounce back performances against Virginia tech and, and one other team, but they also dropped a complete stinker uh, against the Longhorns. So I, I think I know just a little bit more about what this Baylor team can do as opposed to, to West Virginia. I wouldn't be surprised if it's close. I think the three and a half uh, line makes sense just because Morgantown is a difficult place to play. Uh, but, but I think Baylor wins this game. I think it'll be close, but I think the Bears will get back on track. I think it's a tricky one. Yeah, it's it's a tough that's a tough place to go and on like a standalone game. It's it's going to be a difficult atmosphere. Um the three and a half scares me just like it does with TCU of like is that what's that trying to tell me? I think uh it's begging you to just pick Baylor. Like of course the, the this team is much better than West Virginia. They but when when you say that, that's there's probably something going on there. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a tricky one. Um, the next one we talked about the Oklahoma at home favored by nine and a half points over Kansas. Kansas will be without Jalen Daniels this week. Um, Oklahoma will most likely be without Dylan Gabriel, but there's still some rumblings that Gabriel could return. Uncertain. Uh, but that's a that's a really large number um, for an Oklahoma team that's been embarrassed three weeks in a row and a Kansas team that's been really, really strong all season. This number seems like something a computer spit out based on, like, uh, I don't know, looking at history. But right. I don't know that it sees anything that's happened this season. So I'm inclined to think that the Jayhawks at least cover this game. Yeah, I think Kansas wins this game, to be honest. Um, I, I I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, – the, they, they, they see Kansas's reputation and immediately think this could be a, a favorable game for, for Oklahoma. But this is – and I get it because the Sooners are 0-3 in the conference now. And it's if there's any time to kick it into high gear, it's now. I mean, they, they, they really got to come out and play like their season is on the line. And that might be, it, it may sound like hyperbole to say that, but when, when you're 0 three in a conference like this to start out, it, it's going to be a nightmarish grind to, to try and get back into the, into the competitive atmosphere of the conference and, and make a run for, for some kind of postseason bid. But I just really like what I've seen from Kansas this year collectively um, winning in different ways. Like I've mentioned before, and just the sign of a really well coached team is how you respond after a really tough loss. And I think Kansas is going to come out in this game and get a win here. Uh, even with Jalen Daniels out, I think they're well coached enough. I think they have enough playmaking ability and I just if Dylan Gabriel is not playing I, I don't think Oklahoma has they might have to run the ball 45 times to win this game I mean they they cannot maybe they get creative and try to get Marvin Mims and some of these other guys the ball uh behind the line of scrimmage but uh until we see any kind of answer at quarterback I have no reason uh not to pick Kansas in this one 
I'm with it. Last game is the Iowa State at Texas. Texas is a 16.5-point favorite. Um, for me, I think Texas is getting a lot of that uh, that Nick Saban rat poison this week. They're, they're really feeling themselves um, after beating a, a pretty bad Oklahoma team uh, by a lot. And... You know, there, there's there's national media talking them up like, can they make the playoffs with their two losses? And is Quinn Ewers the best player in college football? And blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, like Texas wins one game against a terrible team and all of a sudden they're the best team in football. Let's, let's stop. Um, and I think Iowa State has a strong defense and they've, they've come away with losses in these, these last couple games, but they have kept they've been like one or two point losses so i don't think there's i don't think texas covers the 16 and a half i don't think they they have a a three score win over the cyclones even at home so i i think texas probably wins the game they are a better team but i think i think iowa state can cover a 16 and a half yeah i think the longhorns will win too i i definitely think this could be your prototypical trap game for the reasons that you you said um having to listen i think to- it's oklahoma state on deck too i think it's texas oklahoma state coming next week so yeah yeah they, they might be looking ahead and i mean they, they got joel Klatt saying that they should be ranked um among among the best teams in the country right now and you know they, they could be undefeated if quinn ewers never got hurt well you know what should have would have if i mean <laughs> You lost to Texas Tech. You gave up 37 to the Red Raiders, and and you lose to an Alabama team that I honestly believe is not as good as their rank shows. I don't care that Bryce Young didn't play <laughs> against A and M. They they almost lost that game. I don't think they have the kind of skill talent that they've had in years past. I know Will Anderson is a monster and is going to be likely a top five NFL draft pick. Uh, Bryce Young, of course, is arguably the best quarterback in college football, but I think Alabama is extremely vulnerable. And, um, you know, of course, that that win does deserve or that uh, a tough loss for Texas against that kind of team um, to go from unranked to ranked after that game. It is a loss. They did lose the game. it, It still counts in that that other column with the L. Yep. But yeah, I think Texas will win this game. It could be tough if they uh, forget to set their alarm clocks. But let's uh, to all to all the national media broadcasters and pundits out there. Let's pump the brakes on uh, on Texas real quick. Let's hasn't everyone learned their lesson? Yes. Like, like so much the reason the te- the reason Texas is back is a meme is because you do you guys do this every time. They win one game. They beat Notre Dame to start a season, and both teams end up four and eight. Like, all right, calm down. Uh, okay, I think that's all for football. We've gone we've gone pretty long. I'm gonna just say TCU soccer last week got a draw and a big time win over um, Iowa State. They dominated both games. Gave up a late own goal on, on a cross that that bounced in unfortunate to get the draw there but big one against oklahoma state in Stillwater this week um both teams are like a game behind texas in the big 12 standing so that's a huge game also between tcu and oklahoma state um in the other kind of football 
uh, and then then basketball has some news that we can we can close up with. Russ, what do we got on basketball? Yeah, just a couple of uh, preseason honors. We have Mike Miles, who's been named the uh, Big Twelve preseason player of the year, which um, you love to see that for for Mike. He's coming back and has a lot to prove um, as a leader of this team. And the team, again, we've talked about on the on the pod, has a lot of hype coming in with so many players uh, coming back. Emmanuel Miller is a preseason All-Big 12 honorable mention, was such an integral piece of the success last season on both ends of the floor, uh, solidifying one of those two forward positions. And then, uh, some recruitment watch for, for basketball, not for football, uh, but for basketball, we got a, a decision coming up for Dennis Evans, who's a seven foot one center, a five-star prospect would be, uh, Anthony and I were talking about this before the podcast started. It would be the second, according to two, four, seven sports, the second five-star prospect in, uh, men's basketball to go to TCU the first since 2003, uh, TCU already with two recruits for the class of 2023 um, would be would be a huge addition, of course. Uh, tremendous boost to a, a team that's returning a lot of talent. And PJ Haggerty, a three-star, is coming in this year. It'll be interesting to see if he can earn a role. Um, we get the transfer from Oklahoma State, I believe, Rondell Walker. You'll hope that he can blend in and make an impact on both ends of the floor. So uh, TCU and Minnesota are the two schools to uh, two schools that are waiting anxiously on the, on the Dennis Evans announcement. So, uh, you know, we'll have something up right away. If, if we hear the good news, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Fingers crossed on that one. And yeah, on miles, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible to have TCU have the, uh, the media honored preseason big 12 player of the year. Uh, the Big 12 has the reigning national champion and the previous national champion and all of this talent, all of these superstar teams. And for Mike Miles to earn that honor, I think it's, you know, obviously it means nothing in the scheme of actual basketball being played on the court, but it's just a, a sign of it, it's something that we probably never would have expected uh, a, a TCU basketball player to have that kind of attention and, and a basketball team to have this level of hype going into a season. Um, we're just a few weeks away and I, I couldn't be more excited for the basketball season as well. So that will close us out for this week. Thank you all for, for sticking with us, for listening here to the podcast. Of course, check out everything on frogsofwar.com. Follow what we're doing during the game on Twitter, on, on the blog, on the website with our game threads. Um, there'll be a lot more fun stuff, uh, content going up the rest of this week as we get into this big football game on Saturday here in Fort Worth. That's all I've got. Russ, you got anything? I think you summed it up nicely. We got a big matchup at 2.30. Wear purple. I think I'm anxious to see the uniform combo. You know the Frogs always come out with that swag. So uh, fill the stadium. Uh, ADJD tweeted out that it's been sold out. Want to see a lot of purple in the stands. And 
let's let's keep this great run going. Get there early. Yeah, I was seeing on uh, on StubHub, I was just looking curious to see what the number of tickets, and there were only a few hundred tickets even on the secondary market. I mean, even at this time, usually you'd see like several thousand on the secondary market. So people are people are buying them up. People are expecting to go. So hope uh, hope to see you guys out there. Definitely get there. Get there early. Be loud um, and, and cheer these frogs on to a, a top 10 victory in the Carter. Exciting times. Uh, that's that's all for today. Thanks. Subscribe everywhere. Check us on YouTube if you want to uh, see our beautiful faces smiling at you. Uh, and go frogs. Go frogs. Take it easy.